What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Fraternity, the number one horror podcast on the internet. I'm your host, your little brother Danny, and I'm here with my big brother Sean. How's everybody doing tonight? And we're going to be talking about another great movie tonight. So last week, we kind of made our first delve into the 90s with a really special movie called Ravenous. But this week, we're kind of scaling it back. Going back to the 80s, but this movie is just as special and just as interesting. So, Sean, do you want to tell the crowd what we're going to be talking about tonight? Yeah, sure. We are going back to the 80s, but like Ravenous, we're sticking with cannibalism. Only this time, we're covering some Italian gore from the sleaze master himself, Joe D'Amato. And we're doing the notorious gut-munching, fetus-feasting... UK video nasty titled Anthropophagus, The Grim Reaper. I'm a big fan of this film, but I don't think I've ever brought it up to you. So had you ever even heard of this movie? Anthropomag... Anthropapag... <laughs> Anthropophagus. 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 <laughs> Anthropophagus. <laughs> Anthropophagus. <laughs> Hard title. No, but, uh, no, I've never heard of it. It's uh, quite an interesting film. I can't say I had any hype going into it, but after watching it and taking my notes, I think it'll be a fun film to discuss. Cool, man. Well, I think I said before in episode two, when we covered pieces, that I wasn't the biggest fan of the Giallo film, and I'm going to take it a bit further tonight and just admit that I've never been the biggest fan of Italian films or Euro horror in general. Italians just have this incredible ability to make a 90-minute feature feel like four hours, and it really wears on me. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I would agree, but for some reason, this just kind of... I don't think I've ever seen, like, any Italian films, not even, like, the greats, and I wanted to ask you a question, like, what do you think it is about horror that is so attractive to Italian filmmakers? And then I was going to ask, like, what do you like about italian horror if anything man that's a tough question and probably more deservedly directed towards someone with a higher pay grade than myself because i'm not getting paid at all (laughs) (laughs) it's hard for me to say because like i said i do have a love-hate relationship with italian horror or european horror i think uh at a certain point they were riffing off of the success of the 80s horror boom only they were able to get away with a little bit more nudity and more gore. And I think that's what attracted me, especially when I was younger. And, you know, it's tough because sometimes the dubbing isn't all that great. Sometimes the plot is a little incomprehensible. But all in all, you can still have a good time with Italian horror. Yeah, no, I I had a good time watching this film. And I can totally see that that these films are allowed to be a bit edgier than their American counterparts sometimes. And there are quite a lot of scenes in this film, one in particular, where it's like, that would never fly with an American audience. (laughs) Maybe nowadays, but back then, it's like kind of crazy. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yeah, I think there is something to be appreciated here about Italian filmmaking and Italian horror. I don't know, I just kind of found found myself mesmerized with the subject, and more so that than maybe the movie itself. But... Overall, I do like this movie. Well, 
I think I should say, like, when I was younger and I would rent horror movies, Euro horror back then was not advertised as such. In America, they were just marketed as horror films and usually censored or edited in some way. And I remember my first encounter was a really bad one. It was a film I now know is called Hell of the Living Dead, but I rented it under the title Night of the Zombies. And this was when I was 11 or 12. And like I said, if you're looking at the box, you really have no idea. And then when you watch it, you know something's off, you know? (laughs) It wasn't until I was able to rent like some Fulci movies like Zombie or City of the Living Dead, which I first encountered under the title The Gates of Hell, that my opinion of Italian films and Euro horror started to turn more favorably. And the horror selection at the Blockbuster when we moved to Louisiana was pretty small, but they had a bunch of Italian horror films. And one of the films that caught my eye was a film called The Grim Reaper. And that is the censored U.S. version of Anthropophagus. And despite the fact that they removed the two scenes that deliver the goods, I still really liked this movie. And it's not like I was aware of the cuts back then. So if you're not aware of something, you don't miss it. And the film still worked for me. And I actually rented it numerous times. I liked it so much. And eventually that blockbuster sold it and I bought that copy and I added it into the mom and pop VHS horror collection. I didn't get to see the uncensored version or even become aware of it until Media Blasters released Anthropophagus under their Shriek Show label. And this version came with the awesome gut munching cover and it was completely uncensored. It had a wealth of supplements and definitely was one of those end all be all DVDs that I talk about. And I even found this at Best Buy, which I was shocked seeing Klaus on a DVD cover in Best Buy. I was like, holy shit, that's the Grim Reaper. (laughs) And of course, it eventually did get released on Blu-ray by Severin Films. And I had to have that too. And it's funny because my horror collection right now is in storage. So in order for us to do this episode, I actually bought this digitally. It was $4.99 on Amazon. And I went ahead and picked it up. So that me and you could watch it ad-free, uninterrupted. Cool. Well, you own this film on basically all forms of media at this point. (laughs) Yep, I sure do. And I'll just say that outside of Fulci films or Argento films, I would say this is the film that really opened the floodgates in relation to Euro Horror for me. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it with you. Yeah, well, I feel kind of the same way. Like I said, I... Don't think I've really seen an Italian film before, maybe one or two, but they're escaping my memory. But now I'm like kind of interested in their history and the background of it and want to get into more. So, yeah, I'm really happy we watched this movie and I'm happy that we're going to talk about it. Cool. You ready to get into it then? Yeah. But before we get into that, you can follow us on Twitter. Our at is at Fraternity. That's at Fraternity. We have an email account. You can email us at Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. And we have a YouTube channel, and we're uploading previous episodes of the show on our YouTube with a visual treat added to them. So you can check that out. If you go to YouTube, type Fraternity in the search bar, our channel will come up. You can subscribe to us. You can give us a like, leave a comment, all that good stuff. And if you like the show, be sure to rate us on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us right now. We'd really appreciate it. 
Yeah. Help us spread fraternity. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate all the fun communique we have on Twitter and elsewhere. We appreciate you listening right now, listening to us. And we hope you enjoy listening to us and we want to give you a good show. So we talk a lot about commonality in regards we cover here on Fraternity. And I just have to say, Danny, that we have another one here. Because just like Maniac, which we covered in episode 8, this film opens with a young couple getting killed on a beach. That's true, yeah. There's uh, a lot of similarities to previous films we've talked about. We see a young tourist couple heading through town towards the beach of this savage island, as it's called on the print we were able to watch. And once they're on the beach, the woman strips down to her bathing suit while the man takes his shirt off and puts on some fantastically 80s headphones. These things look like he's strapping speakers (laughs) to both sides of his head. (laughs) He's just vibing out on the beach to some weird European dance music. (laughs) That's all I can say. Yeah, definitely some weird music. The whole film has some weird music. But the girl swims out to a small boat that's adrift. And she's suddenly startled by what she sees. But we don't know what she sees. And as she panics, we see her get pulled under... And then eventually we see this plume of blood just form underwater. And the man remains oblivious as we start to get these really cool killer point of view shots of someone stalking up onto the beach. And I really love the shots of blood dripping onto the sand. Yeah, I like those shots of the blood dripping. I also like the shots of the blood kind of like you see these pockets of blood in the water when he kills the girl that was swimming. Yeah, it's really fun. And he approaches the dude on the beach, and yeah, he doesn't notice the killer right in front of him, and we see the killer hold up this cleaver, and in the reflection of the knife, we see the guy listening to the music in the reflection, and then he screams, and we get this awesome knife plunging into the head. <laughs> yeah, great aftershot, too, where this thing has just shattered through his forehead and murked him good. <laughs> It's real nice and seamless. I I like this opening. Next, we meet our main group of friends. They're riding on a cable car. And it's three men and two women. One of them is pregnant. And there's also a woman named Julie, who is our main character, played by Tisa Farrow. And she overhears them discussing plans for a boat trip. And she ends up asking them for a lift because she needs to get to an island because she takes care of a girl out there. And at the bottom of the mountain, another friend, a guy named Alan, picks them all up in a great 80s VW van. And they discuss their journey a little more. And we learn that the island Julie needs to get to is fairly isolated. She calls it a paradise, but it sure didn't look like a paradise to me. (laughs) But she makes mention that tourists only go so often And the island is only inhabited by a very few self-sustaining families. We see that a man named Danny has taken a liking to Julie. But Julie seems more interested in Alan. And we also see that Carol likes Danny. And this sets up a bit of a love triangle in the movie. Yeah, Danny hits on Julie, bringing her a Coke. But she obviously isn't that interested in him. (laughs) Some product placement, Danny. (laughs) Carol is also into tarot cards, and 
while her, Julie, and Maggie, the pregnant woman, are sitting at a table, Carol offers to give Maggie a reading, and the cards end up giving an ominous warning. Maggie asks to see her future, and Carol explains that the cards gave no answer, and after Maggie leaves and Julie questions what that means, she explains that if you ask about the future and you don't get an answer, it's because there is no future. I like the uh, next day Alan and Julie are talking at the helm, and Alan asks Julie if her and Carol had words because Carol is freaking out about the tarot cards, saying they shouldn't have picked her up and they shouldn't set foot on this island. And we get this great shot of Carol looking through her tarot cards and she comes across the death card and then just starts tossing her tarot cards into the ocean. And just then we see the island in the distance. Yeah, I really like uh, just how spooked Carol is here, just throwing these tarot cards away like she's just accepted that this island is death. And Carol says, like, they should have never let Julie come on this trip. And this is the beginning of kind of Carol's uh, untrustfulness of Julie. The group decides to accompany Julie to the village and check out the island once they're docked. And while exiting the boat, Maggie ends up spraining her ankle. And so she stays behind with the boat operator. I like Alan. He's like, just ice it. We'll see you later. (laughs) He's so quick to just... <laughs> pawn Maggie off when she can't come on the trip. Right. She's like, bye, Julie. I think it was the dubbing. It was just, he's just like, bye, Julie. You should ice it. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the dubbing is really funny. Yeah, as uh, the group walks to the village, we see someone watching the boat operator and Maggie and the group from a distance. And Maggie soaks her ankle in a bucket of water and we see the group get to the town and they find it's abandoned and Julie and Alan find a smashed telegraph machine while Danny and Carol spot a mystery woman standing in a window and they go after her, but she disappears, but she writes go away in the grime on the window. As they're looking at the message scrawled on the window, they see the mystery woman again outside and Danny goes to run after her. And as he does, A corpse falls out of this other room in front of Carol, and it's all rotting and clearly looks like it's been chewed on. We've got another case of cannibals. Yeah, back at the boat, Maggie asks the boat operator to refill her bucket, and while doing so, he vanishes. And Maggie goes and gets the bucket herself, and she goes to put her foot inside, and she steps right on the severed head of the boat operator. You know, they tried with this head. It's convincing enough. (laughs) It looks a little bloated and (laughs) weird, but I I appreciate this kill a lot. (laughs) Wouldn't that bucket have been pretty heavy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't she have noticed it had an entire head in there? (laughs) I guess that ankle must have really been hurting. (laughs) Upon inspecting the corpse, though, in town, the group of friends decide to head back to the boat to regroup with Maggie. And when they get there, they find that the boat is now adrift and they can't swim to it. And Maggie's husband, this guy named Arnie, he is distraught. But the group does their best to rationalize the situation. They assume, well, the boat captain probably knew a storm was coming and took it out to safety. So 
Julie suggests they go to the house where her friends live for shelter from this storm that's apparently approaching. And as the group heads back into town, we see Maggie's legs on a ridge above them as she's dragged off by her unseen killer. So unsurprisingly, the group finds the estate of Julie's friends is also abandoned. Alan makes note of how nothing appears to be missing or stolen. And despite all these odd occurrences, the group has no choice but to settle in for the night. And after dinner, Carol rants and raves about her anxious feelings and stating their situation is hopeless and that they're all doomed. Yeah, she says this place is death and that they should have never let Julie come with them and that they're all gonna, that there's a great evil here. She goes on this weird monologue. (laughs) Alan's like, shut up, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Later that night, Julie is awakened by a sound, and Danny is also awakened by it. And we get this good false scare where Danny walks up behind Julie with a cleaver. Like, why was he aiming this cleaver at her back? But then he comes around the corner all smiles like, hey, Julie, I'll come with you. (laughs) Yeah, they both end up tracking this noise to the basement. And inside the basement, they are startled by a kitten jumping on the piano. And they're, <laughs> they're laughing off this scare when this young woman suddenly bursts out of a barrel wielding a large knife. And she's thrusting it frantically and ends up stabbing Danny in the shoulder. And this person that emerged from this barrel is just swinging wildly. And she's like covered in wine, I assume. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I took it as, too. I figured it was wine. And it becomes apparent pretty quickly that she's blind. And this is the girl that Julie takes care of. It's a girl named Rita. And they end up putting her up in the bed. And she talks of not knowing where her family is. And she speaks of a man on the island that she can sense because he smells of blood. He smells of blood. He smells of blood. I can smell him. I know when he's here. (laughs) (laughs) So Alan and Artie go back into the town to get antibiotics for Danny. And Danny joins Julie in Rita's room. And he's professing his fondness for her. And Julie responds with disinterest. Like, she's genuinely not interested. But Danny puts some moves on her regardless. And of course, Carol walks in and starts throwing another fit. What does, uh... Julie says, she's like, get off it, Carol. Yeah, Carol's like, this is all your fault, Julie. And Julie's like, get off of it. (laughs) This leads Carol to run off and Julie chases after her. And Danny stays home because his wound is starting to hurt. (laughs) Did you notice when Carol was running, she did that great fake trip fall. And then when she got up, she accidentally ran her face into a little twig. (laughs) (laughs) I did not notice that. I'll have to go and rewind that yeah julie chases after carol and carol vanishes and julie ends up walking into a cemetery and somehow carol has the keys and locks her in (laughs) and this causes julie to panic and she searches for a way out she finds a low portion of wall to scale and she runs right into alan and arnie but at this point we're going back to the house and Danny and Rita are startled by a noise, and Rita awakens in terror, and she's fretting, saying he's here, 
and she can smell him and Daniel goes to investigate and he does find like an open door but he returns to Rita and he tells her I'm gonna lock you in here and you'll be safe and as he shuts the door we get this lightning flash and it reveals our killer for the first time this dude who has a oatmeal complexion (laughs) oatmeal raisin cookie face (laughs) (laughs) I really love this uh they just really frame Claus. What I mean, that's the that's the name of our villain here is Claus, this hulking guy with the oatmeal face. Yeah, let's talk about Klaus. You like the way they frame him? They do always emphasize his size, right? Yeah, he always looks big when he's in frame, and he always looks very menacing. And I'll be honest, the first time I watched this film, I was like, "This is the villain, really?" <laughs> but when I watched it again, there was something in the simplicity of Klaus that I really enjoyed and it some for some reason resonated with me. I was just like, you know, sometimes that's all you need. You don't need the best of makeup or the most interesting costume or, you know, backstory or anything really. Because at this point in the story, we don't know anything about Klaus or why he's killing. We have no motivation. But there's just something about that image of him that just really sticks with me and, and I really like. And I think sometimes in horror, that's all you need is just a striking image and something simple that is effective. Yeah, we, I know it's easy to make fun of his oatmeal raisin cookie skin. <laughs> <laughs> Especially later because he gets stuck in some water and it's like clearly the makeup is having a hard time clinging to his face. <laughs> We're going to learn that. He's very sun damaged. He's sun scarred. And yeah, he's he looks to be about seven feet tall and he's got long, unkempt hair and he's always got these wide killer looking eyes. And I noticed, too, I remember on the VHS, it almost looked like he wore all black, but he's in like this dirty plaid shirt. Yeah, he just looks like he hasn't changed in a while. (laughs) Like there's no rhyme or reason to his outfit. That's what he washed up on shore wearing, and that's what he's wearing now. <laughs> yeah, I think his look works, though. It's 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 fitting for the movie. Yeah, no, I like it. I like Klaus. I like... He's the uh, star of the show for me. Whenever he's on screen, I'm like, oh, yeah. And, yeah, we're going to talk more about Klaus later, as he is uh, in probably the most offensive scene of this film. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. He's definitely the star for me, too, besides Tisa Farrow, who I love. But uh, Daniel hears Rita scream, and he runs back in the room, and he sees Klaus standing over her, and he attacks with his cleaver, but Klaus easily just grabs him and stops him in his tracks and throws him down on the ground. And then Klaus kneels down over him and takes this giant bite out of his throat. We see blood gushing out, and Daniel is dead. Yeah, I really like that chunk of his throat that you just see in Klaus's mouth, and oh, it's nasty. <laughs> Arnie, Allen, and Julie arrive too late, and they just find Daniel dead on the floor, and Rita cowering in bed. And we're going to cut to the next day, because the group is still unable to find Carol, and they can't get to the boat. So they decide to explore the island and we see Arnie is collapsing from stress and he's just past the point of despair and giving up hope. And he's like, everybody's dead. 
we're all dead. And Alan's like, that's stupid talk, Arnie. And <laughs> I love how blunt Alan is. <laughs> yeah, Alan's a medical student. Shut up, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> stupid talk, Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Alan is a medical student, and through that knowledge, he surmised that Danny was killed by a human bite. So he's telling them, there's no monster here. There's a killer here, and we're going to have to kill them before they kill us. And they end up coming across the estate of someone named Klaus Wortman. And we hear Julie tell the men that she heard he was shipwrecked with a wife and child and presumed dead. And he left behind a sister who had reportedly gone mad afterward. And as they entered this estate, we see the mystery woman through a window looking down on them. And it's pretty apparent at this point that she is the sister, right? Yeah, one could uh, make a safe assumption that this is the sister. So we see her inside the manor and she's holding a rope in a very foreboding manner. And we also see Carol is in the house to asleep on this couch and just as the group enters and reaches the bottom of the stairs we see this mystery woman just throw herself over the balcony and she comes crashing down and she comes to a sudden neck snapping stop and we just see a close-up of her face as she spits up blood and hangs there i really like this hanging i thought it was effectively brutal it's just so abrupt, and you know it's coming, but it's just so out of nowhere. It's just like, oh shit, like, that was crazy. <laughs> I like how Alan stares at her for a minute, and then he's like, hey, let's go cut the rope now and try to save her. <laughs> hey, Artie, go, cu- go up and cut the rope. Yeah, just, they're all just like, uh, uh, maybe we should cut her down. <laughs> yeah, but she's dead. And Arnie finds Carol upstairs. And he summons the others up. And as Carol's telling them what happened that night, Arnie notices the tide is bringing the boat back in from out the window. Arnie and Alan decide to leave the women at the villa, and they make an effort to reach the boat. And Carol and Julie set their differences aside here. And this is when Julie notices a picture of the Wortman family. And it does establish to us that Klaus is indeed the sun-scarred cannibal killer. They also find a burnt and torn diary from the mystery woman. And they read what they can from it. And it describes the murder of the tourists at the beginning. And it establishes that the sister was aware Klaus was the killer. And she was aiding and abetting him by hiding the dead bodies from the authorities. And the diary mentions that there's a hidden entrance to Klaus's room, and Julie decides to start searching for the the hidden entrance. Outside, we see Arnie and Alan split up in the attempt to get to the boat, and while on his own, Arnie comes across a shoe belonging to Maggie, and he tracks the path to this old castle-like structure, and he's going to work his way down into these corpse-riddled catacombs below. What did you think of these catacombs? This set is awesome. Uh, my only complaint is the very obvious bats on a string that keep flying past Arnie's face. <laughs> yeah, there's some real disgusting rats, but the bats are very fake. <laughs> hey, I thought those rats were cute. I mean, I'm a fan of rats, so Ugh. I know I'm weird. But yeah, I really like this set, and I like 
just the sheer amount of like corpses and bones just in this place it's like dude klaus he must have a very hefty appetite to eat all these people and i like that some are just down to the bone and then some are like you know half eaten and then there's one that's getting eaten by the rats yeah i really really enjoy it at one point arnie has this torch you know he's using it to light his way through the cavern and it looks like the flame got like too big and it like almost like singes his <laughs> eyebrows off. Yeah, I agree. The set is awesome. And yeah, there's skeletal remains everywhere. And that is cool how the deeper he gets, we start seeing fresher corpses. And as he walks past some of the fresh corpses, a hand reaches up and grabs him and he turns and it's Maggie. And they're reunited, and he starts to help her get out of the catacombs. But we go back to the estate at this point, and Julie ends up finding the hidden door, and she smashes a mirror and moves a dresser, and that's where the hidden door is. And inside that room, she finds even more maggot-infested corpses all wrapped in cloth and sitting on the furniture. I like to think that, uh... Klaus's room got so full of corpses, he just had to move to this abandoned castle. (laughs) (laughs) She finds a picture of Klaus on his boat in this room, too. And that's when we cut back to Arnie and Maggie, and we now see that Klaus is pursuing them. I really like the shots of him walking down the catacombs, and it's clearly cold in there because you can see the smoke from his breath. And we get some great dubbing of Arnie pleading, like, My wife is pregnant. Leave us alone. Can't you just stop? (laughs) She's expecting a baby. (laughs) Don't you understand? But Klaus does understand because this is one of those rare moments where we actually get a triggered memory of our killer. Yeah, I really like you can see in Klaus's eyes that something that Arnie said resonated with him. And he kind of looks back and the camera zooms in on his face. And it's really well done. So we see that Klaus, his wife, and their son were adrift in a life raft. And the overbearing sun is just beaming down on them. And we can already see the damage the sun is inflicting, especially on the wife's face. And the sun is actually already dead, and she's cradling him. And then, I don't know if you noticed, but as Klaus starts to look at the boy and get hungry... He's actually wearing corduroy pants, and if I were in corduroys in the hot sun like that, I'd eat my son too. <laughs> Not a fan of corduroys, huh? <laughs> well, they're hot as hell. <laughs> so true. I'd I'd have stripped those things off by then. <laughs> yeah, I'd be in undies within the hour. So Klaus is approaching his wife and son, and his wife Marta. She could tell what his actions are and she tells him to back off and klaus is explaining like he's dead we need his meat to survive we'll survive through him and marta is unwilling to hear this and it causes a little scuffle and marta basically impales herself on klaus's knife and as she's bleeding out she's like telling klaus here eat me just eat me (laughs) we get a great dub scream from Klaus. (laughs) Klaus. <laughs> so now that we know what set Klaus on his cannibal journey, we cut back into the catacombs 
And we see that Arnie has attempted to thrust his knife into Klaus. And Klaus has grabbed the knife with his bare hands. And he's bleeding. But he pulls the knife away and stabs Arnie right through the neck and shoulder area. And you see the blade, like, sink deeper and deeper. So now we're going to get to one of the very first notorious scenes of this movie. Would you like to walk us through this one, Danny? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. <laughs> let's let's not go that far. <laughs> well, to keep it short, Klaus grabs a hold of Maggie and takes her down to the ground. And Klaus is on top of Maggie, and he starts to work his hands down her body. And he gets to Maggie's groin area, and he sticks his hand up inside Maggie, and he pulls out the unborn child of Arnie and Maggie, and he begins to feast on it. Umbilical cord still intact. Yeah, Arnie's not quite dead yet either, so he has to watch Klaus feast on his unborn child, and he was also choking Maggie, and Maggie dies right before he pulls the fetus out, but what were your thoughts on the fetus munching scene? I mean, as soon as he took Maggie down to the ground, I was like, okay, I think he's going to eat the baby. (laughs) (laughs) But just seeing it and just the baby fetus prop is just so convincing. And I love it. I mean, is it weird to say that I love to watch a killer eat an unborn child fetus in a horror movie? I don't know. What does that say about my mental state? I don't know, but... I really like this kill and scene and just the way it works. And yeah, I like boundary pushing stuff. And this is that. This is like a litmus test for like true horror, if you are into this or not, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see why it was dubbed the video nasty in the 80s in the UK. Because like I said, when I first saw this movie, I saw it as the Grim Reaper. And this scene was not in the film. and. It wasn't until the early 2000s that I saw this scene, and I was like, are you kidding me? He pulls the baby out and eats it. (laughs) So in the edited version, where does it cut, like, after his flashback? I think we see him choking Maggie out, and then it just abruptly cuts away. I can't really remember, and plus... You have to remember this was on a VHS rental and it was very, the image was extremely dark in these catacombs too. So even if that scene was intact, I doubt you would have seen it in all its glory like we just did. But yeah, I'm for it too. I mean, I don't find it that shocking almost because it's so preposterous. Like, I'm like, really? (laughs) You were going there? (laughs) But it's still effective and it works. It's a, I applaud it. I applaud Joe D'Amato for being a sick bastard. <laughs> yeah, he sells it. He takes a a nasty bite into that child, unborn child, that fetus. Yeah, apparently it was a uh, skinned rabbit. <laughs> I can see that. I don't know. I can't imagine our parents watching this and <laughs> enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, but we got to be honest. There are films today that go way beyond the pale of even this now yeah well i saw in the recommended for this film it was like a serbian film and i've heard about that and how that really goes to extremes i don't know if you've heard of it i've seen a serbian film and we'll save that for another day (laughs) (laughs) 
So I was like half expecting some weird stuff to happen in this film, and I was down for it for sure. <laughs> cool. So after that, we go back to the estate, and Carol's watching for the men outside a window, and she tells Rita to just sit down and wait, and she goes looking for Julie. And as she calls out to Julie, Julie responds, and Carol follows her voice to the hidden room. And as Carol enters, though, Julie turns and notices blood dripping on the floor, and we suddenly see that Carol has had her throat slit. This really came out of nowhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, just is like, oh, we gotta get rid of Carol. <laughs> slit her throat. <laughs> so as Carol collapses... Klaus barges in and gives chase, and Julie runs upstairs because Rita's up there, and once they regroup, they're trapped because Klaus is walking up the stairs, and so they have no choice but to go further up, and eventually they get to an attic, and they lock themselves in as Klaus begins banging on the door. I will say I really love the shots of Klaus walking up the stairs. I do too. I really love those those downward angle shots of like the spiral staircase. And it's a shot you see all the time nowadays, but uh, it's here in this 1980 film and uh, it looks really cool. I, I enjoy it. And I really enjoy the chase scene here with Klaus slowly approaching them while they're just frantically going up these staircases. He ends up abandoning his attempt to break into the attic because they've bolted the door shut and the two women take a moment to regain their composure but out of nowhere klaus's hands burst through the ceiling smashing a giant hole in the roof and grabbing rita by the head and he tugs her head up through the hole in the ceiling and his grip is so tight that she's practically being scalped and her face is painted red with blood yeah i really love the makeup of her scalp just being ripped off by klaus's grip and she's just screaming in agony and just covered in blood yeah, then Klaus bites into her neck, and while this is going on, Julie's using a pickaxe to break through a section of roof in order to land a blow on Klaus, and eventually she lands this puncturing blow right in his calf, and he ends up screaming out in pain and gripping his leg, and then he rolls off the roof. So Julie lowers Rita's dead body down, and there's nothing she can do, so she decides to flee. And we end up outside in the back area of the estate. And Julie's looking around for Klaus because she knows he fell off the roof. And she still has the pickaxe. And she comes across this large well. And she looks down. And just as she looks over, a hand comes up and pulls her down in there. And as she falls into the well, her hand gets tangled in a rope. And it wraps around her wrist and cuts into her. And she's left dangling there precariously, suspended by this rope by her bleeding wrist. Ugh. Yeah, ugh, rope burn. The worst you can imagine. Yeah, I really like this uh, set piece of the well here for our finale. Yeah, it's awesome. We see Klaus emerge from this dark, murky water at the bottom, and he looks super creepy. I thought it was really effective, the way he pops out of the water here. So there's rungs up the one side of the well and julie is fighting to get her footing on one of the rungs and klaus is climbing up to get her and as she's managing to get out of the well klaus grabs the rope that's still wrapped around her wrist and he gets out of the well too and he's pulling julie towards him 
And all of a sudden, Alan appears out of nowhere and swings the pickaxe right into Klaus's stomach. And we're going to get the second notorious scene of this film. Klaus's intestines start spilling out into his hands. And as he falls to his knees, holding his own guts, he looks up at Alan and Julie. And he lifts his intestines to his face and he starts to eat. And I guess that's one way to evacuate your bowels. <laughs> so what did you think of this gut-munching sequence here? I love it. It's shocking. It's got this... I don't, it's just provocative. It's just awesome. Like, it's the cover of the film, you know? It's this, this one shot here that kind of encapsulates the whole movie. And it's awesome. It's one of those villain deaths where it makes you feel like he didn't even win. Like, Klaus gets the last laugh just like... I'm going to gnaw on myself and just die here. Like, no dignity, give you no satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, he does die, and he leaves Julian, Alan, alone, looking at one another in shock. And that, indeed, is the end of our movie. Yeah, that's Anthropopagus. <laughs> Anthropophagus? I've always called it Anthropophagus, but... I looked it up and it's anthropophagus. Anthropophagus. Pophagus. Anthropophagus. I'll get it. I'll, I'll get it one of these days. One of these days. So Danny, did you like this movie? Yeah, like I said, I enjoy this movie. It got me interested in like Italian filmmaking and Italian horror films. And that, that's why I wanted to ask you those questions like, you know, what do you think? Or Italian filmmakers are so interested in horror and like... What do you like about it? Because I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it yet. I don't think I've seen enough films to like really say what I like about it. But it just feels very weird and esoteric. And it, and like this whole film just has it's a really interesting setting. You know, it's an interesting story. It doesn't really copy anything before it except being having, you know, like a, a killer, but and a group of people together. But outside of all that, I think it's very unique and i think the presentation is totally there i like the music i think it's filmed really well and yeah i want to watch more italian horror well i've i've spent a lot of time talking about my love hate relationship with italian horror and euro horror but i will say the older i get the more i come around to it and the more i journey on this quest to consume all things horror there is a huge subgenre of european horror that I'd be remiss not to dabble in, so I find the ones I like. There's some I don't like, but just know that we will be covering a lot more Italian horror and Euro horror on Fraternity. So if you're a hardcore fan or if you're just dabbling in it, you have a home here because this will not be the last time we venture into the spaghetti splatter. So Sean, did you have a favorite kill? I have to go with Rita. It's a good choice, definitely. I mentioned earlier that when I first saw this movie, it was the censored version. But this kill always stuck out to me, regardless of censorship. I think the neck bite was actually removed. And I recall a promo photo that looks like it came from an alternate take. There's a different angle, and all you see is Rita's head sticking out of the roof among the shingles. As she's screaming out in terror. And that image just really sticks with me. I love 
like the cut between her body standing in the attic with her head stuck outside with Klaus. Yeah. Her helpless body is still in the attic with her head outside on the on the roof and Klaus just taking a bite out of her neck. Yeah, it's all great stuff. I think it's very effective and frightening imagery. And you also get that great jump scare in the way he bursts through the ceiling. I remember that getting me the first time I saw it. (laughs) Her face is just drenched in blood. And then that bite he takes out of her neck to just seal her fate. Brutal stuff. Definitely my favorite kill. What about you? Um, I gotta go with Klaus. Seeing him just take out his own innards and shove them in his mouth with that crazy look on his face. It's just awesome. It's just like, it reminds you why you love horror so much. It's just one of those scenes that just sticks out to me, and I really enjoy it. I think Klaus has played wonderfully throughout the whole film whenever he's on screen, and I think this is a great and fitting ending to his character. Awesome. Well, I'll just say that in picking a favorite scene, I feel like you can't not pick one of the notorious gore sequences. And Yeah. That was my choice because this film is noted to be one of the first few splatterific Italian gore films, and it definitely has some great gore scenes. Plus, its structure is very similar to the American slasher, and maybe that's why I like it so much. But yeah, my favorite scene is the gut munching bit at the end. So I guess you could say I have two favorite kills, but. I also want to back it up to the entire bit that takes place in the well, because before I saw the Grim Reaper, I was pretty obsessed with Fulci's zombie around that time, as were a lot of horror fans my age around then. So it was really great to see Tisa Farrow in this, and when she's dangling from her bloody wrist from that rope, and you have Klaus emerging from the water and climbing up to get her, I think it delivers the best tension in the film. And then Alan comes out of nowhere and slams that pickaxe into Klaus. And again, my original copy ended there. There was no gut munching. And I still loved this finale. But with the gut munching included, it just sends it so over the top in a good way. Such a memorable moment. Great scene in horror history. Yeah, this finale is definitely filled with very well-paced tension. It's scary. And yeah, it's really effective. And you're right, you cannot pick a favorite scene that isn't one of these notorious scenes. Because my favorite scene is Klaus eating the unborn child. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, what more can I say? Just that sentence alone kind of speaks volumes to what kind of scene it is. And like I said, it's like a litmus test for what you can handle in horror. And... I just think it's fascinating. It's just in your face. It's shocking. And I love that it kind of connects to Klaus's backstory. And I would include like, you know, the start of his backstory all the way up to him eating the baby as like one scene. I think it's all played really effectively. And we get some nice history about our main villain and not so much of a motivation, but we do see why he is the way he is. And Seeing that man that, you know, was on the brink of death, having turned into this monster that is eating fetuses is just, you know, it's something that isn't captured all the time on film. And it's, I just got to appreciate it. I really enjoy it. Well said. 
And yeah, I agree. You, you have to pick one of the two notorious scenes. And yeah, the flashback is awesome. The way it does deliver us not a motivation, but a rationality for his insanity. It definitely works. Yeah, you don't feel necessarily uh, bad for Klaus, but you do understand him in the end. Well, all right, man. That was anthro... What was that word again? Anthropa... Anthrophe... Uh, the Grim Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to be a wrap for us in the month of November. But we'll be right back at you next week with another great dose of horror. Yeah, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. We'll be waiting. We'll be waiting.